Hi, and welcome to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. Every week we watch a movie, and occasionally some TV, and sit down here to talk about it. I'm Mel. I'm Katie. And we're your hosts. This week, we watch Daredevil Season 2, released on Netflix in 2016. And today, for this episode, we have a special guest joining us. <laughs> because we had so much fun doing Jessica Jones last time, uh, we thought we'd bring in a guest to talk about Daredevil Season 2, and we have... Matt Groom on the line. Matt hosts a podcast about the Power Rangers called Ranger Danger, and he's also our pal. And we thought it'd be fun to sit down with him and talk about Daredevil. Hi, Matt. Hey, how you doing? Good. How are you? Very well, thank you. Thanks very, very much for having me on the show. <laughs> no worries. It's fun to fun to have guests sometimes. Bring in a different opinion. Yeah, Although apparently to... we have differing opinions this time. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, already there's controversy. I'm excited. Yes, we already had a fight pre. Um, episode and we don't have fights very often um yes so i thought uh well katie thought we might run this episode just by going back a bit to season one of daredevil now have we all seen season one yes yeah yep absolutely okay and so just quickly i thought we might start with maybe our our takes on season one matt do you want to start and talk about where you are with daredevil season one absolutely Uh, i was i don't know if i'm in the in the minority here but I really love season uh, episode sort of one to five, and I loved Nelson versus Murdoch. But the last few episodes of season one didn't quite hit the right tone for me. I do not uh, think I guess, you were in the minority there. Yeah, I try to keep myself away from online opinion. So uh, yeah, <laughs> clever. Uh, yeah, but I, I guess because I sort of am familiar with Daredevil from the comics, I've sort of I bring a bit of baggage to it. But overall, I was very happy with how it handled the character and how it tackle dark themes without it being gratuitous or sort of melodramatic. Uh, so yeah, I was pretty happy overall, and then sort of going into season two, even happier. Yeah, that's good. So you've, you're a long-time comic reader, a Daredevil comic reader? Yeah, absolutely. I, I've been in comics for a very long time, and it was a couple of years ago that I sort of looked up at my bookshelf and realised that I had more Daredevil than anything else, and that was sort of when I realised almost by accident that Daredevil is definitely one of my favourite characters. <laughs> awesome. Katie? Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, I have not read the comics. I know a little bit based on what I've gleaned uh, being uh, in the Daredevil fandom, and I'm a really big Daredevil season one fan. It sort of became an obsession of mine last November, and since then I've watched the show through about four times, and uh, Nelson V. Murdoch many, many more times than that. Uh, I don't have a lot of uh, background to bring with the comics, but I know season one really well, and and I was a really really huge fan. I was kind of anxious coming into season two, um, because the promotion for it seemed very kind of yay, sexy ladies and beating up dudes, um, rather than <laughs> the stuff that I was interested from season one. Mm. Um, and I think there's a little bit of that. I mean, it was definitely better than I was worried it would be, but. Uh, yeah, I I like season one better. Mm. Yeah, I had read one comic arc on it, and it was Kevin Smith's arc back in I think it's like late nineties. Oh boy, it's yeah. a rough place to start. <laughs> well, well, I I'm like one of these people who reads comics because they like the writer, and so I was like, oh, yeah. I like Kevin Smith. I'm going to read his comic. So I spent the entire first season of TV Daredevil terrified they were going to kill off Karen because that that's yes. like the crux of that story arc, and also that you know make her a drug addict and all that kind of stuff. So. I was kind of pleased, actually. I've been, I have read little bits of Daredevil. Like he shows up in, he showed up in um, She Hulk a couple of years ago, and there's like little. Bits oh yeah, in of there. course. Um, but yep. I'm not. Yeah, I'm like a newbie comic fan, so I don't have much, uh, much background with the comics. But 
Uh, I I really enjoyed season one when I watched it through for the first time. Uh, but I find the um really visceral violence quite hard going. Like it's got the sound editing in it is such that like you hear bones crunch and like all this kind of gross stuff, which I don't know is pretty pretty hard going. So when I tried to watch it again, which I did recently, um, because I knew we were going to be uh podcasting it, I was a bit a bit nervous. It's still very well done. It just like the the chemistry between the, the three leads and it's so much better than like I having seen the terrible movie from the early 2000s. <laughs> it's so much better. Oh, this season yeah. um, called back to that movie so more times than I was expecting. Oh, with Electra. Not mm. just with Electra. There was a the um, no, there's a shot uh, just after Punisher gets. Well, we're skipping ahead now, but just after Punisher gets arrested, there's a shot of the church and Matt standing on the church mm-hmm. that looked straight out of that movie. And then immediately after that, there was the scene with Matt and Karen in the rain that calls back to Matt and Electra in the rain in that movie. And then they immediately introduce Electra. Um, so not just oh. callbacks in the idea of that's the same characters, but like literal, you know, visual callbacks to that movie. Oh, okay. I think that's actually the case of the comics sort of being the reference point and then both referencing the comics yeah. and then ha- happening to sort of pull s- similar bits from the comics. Um, but, yeah, it does create an uncomfortable comparison between the two. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that, that the Daredevil standing on top of a church is not – I don't think it was invented by the 2003 No, movie. it just – it it, no. um, it was the angle of the shot and oh. stuff like that because that's kind of how the movie starts as Matt's – crashing into a church and I, I don't remember when I saw it but there were uh, the the bits that I remember from the movie were um, r- like there were similar bits in this one and and I think it was the fact that it was right before Electra was introduced mm-hmm. was kind of weird but yeah I mean obviously the TV show is, is a lot better than the movie but for me the latter half of this season was just completely overshadowed by this like background simmering rage that I had at Matt and everything Whoa. was coloured by that. I'm so angry with Matt Murdock right now. <laughs> she she sent me a text last night. I'm so mad at Matt. Yeah. <laughs> my, half my notes are, I'm mad at Matt. Matt's a dick. Yeah. He needs to fix this. So, um, so. she's not mad at you, Matt. So <laughs> I'm mad at yeah, Matt Yeah, I'm taking a little personally here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, actually, well, we might then move. Yeah, so overall impressions of season two. Katie, I'm mad at Matt. Mm-hmm. Matt? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think I liked it a lot more than Katie did. I think perhaps because Matt Murdock to me is a guy who is, he's pretty dumb in the way that he can't learn lessons. And I think like, yeah, it was the perfect representation mm-hmm. of his character, even if that exposes him as kind of a selfish asshole. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He was such a yeah. selfish asshole in this season and I was very angry with him. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I'm more on Matt G's side on this one. I think I actually think it was an interesting journey for him. That constant struggle between good and evil, like the whole, you know, his Catholic soul between the devil and the angel and these better angels kind of that was an I think I think that's an interesting struggle. But I did find the season the the season itself was kind of all over the place. Mm. Like we have we have this Punisher arc that's all wrapped up by episode seven. Episode four, really. Yeah, really, yeah. yeah. But like probably, I mean, because we go through to episode, I think seven and eight, or his trial. Well, um, he yeah. has three arcs in just in this yeah. season. There's and, and, the beginning yeah. one, then there's the trial, and then there's his uh, post, yeah, the, yeah. the jail and the getting out and mm. the death and, there's and so rebirth many, kind of idea. There's so much stuff going on as well. Like, so you got the Punisher bit, but then you've got Electra, and then you've got and and you've got all the stuff that goes on there, and then you've got the splitting up of Nelson and Murdoch, <laughs> and you've got <laughs> and you've got Karen's new journey, and like. I just, it's just 
especially in the second half of the season, I found it hard to kind of keep up with everything that's going on. I'm like, wait, the hand? Wait, what? The blacksmith? Who's the blacksmith? Where did he come from? And like, it was just got you a know, bit confusing. I, I figured out that the blacksmith had to be um, Clancy Brown really early. Because he was because a famous it was guest star. <laughs> yeah. I was like, why is the guy this famous coming in to do a scene where he's just in a court? That I did exactly the same. Yeah. So they started talking about the blacksmith and it, it took me like an episode and a half and I was like sort of going through my memories of the show trying to figure out who it could be. And I'm like, oh, it's probably Clancy Brown because he was in that one bit. I also felt like the highlight of the season was the bits with Wilson Fisk. Where, um, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Like I feel like this season was it was missing an overarching villain and when Fisk came back, that those episodes 9 and 10 where Fisk is back, the, um, what – the episode nine is called Seven Minutes in Heaven and is my favorite of the season. It's so good. When Fisk yep. comes back, it just, it really, everybody lifts and everyone who has to act against him lifts as well. Like the scenes where he has a scene with Punisher, he has a scene with Murdoch, and it's just really good. I did like the scene between Fisk and Matt, mm. um, but I don't have the same sort of affection for Fisk. I was just going to say, I think when Fisk is there, the only problem is that he brings into such stark relief the fact that this season doesn't have. Uh, a strong enough antagonist to really mm, hold yeah. it all together. And when he's there, it just makes you think about how important he was that first season and how like necessary he is when he's not there. Because mm-hmm. like, Nobu is not Fisk by yeah. any stretch. I think the other problem with the, the big bad of this season, well, one of them for me is that I don't like any of the nut people who are going up against the bad guy enough to really make him like a scary person bad guy i kept thinking stick was the bad guy and then i'm like no wait he's supposed to be on the same side as the heroes but i hate stick so much that i'm just like yeah let's kill stick Mm, i mm. he's he's just a manipulative child abusing brainwashing asshole and i want him dead yeah i yeah he's awful but he's interesting to me part of the problem with stick is is that um stick isn't really we don't understand enough about sticks war as he calls it or understand how important it actually is. Yes. Because if he, if it is a world-ending problem, then you can kind of justify what Sick does in his actions. But because we never really get a good grasp of what he's attempting to do, it's very hard to know whether he is a good guy or if he's a guy that just kind of likes being a dick, basically. Mm. Well, it's not just that. I mean, even if even if everything is as big as he says it is, he is just constantly abusing children. He physically and emotionally abuses Matt in season one. He uh, puts Electra through a lot of physical abuse in season two and some, you know, brainwashing uh, and, and emotional abuse as well, but not quite to the same extent that he did Matt. But, and it's it worked, kind though. of, it, yes, but <laughs> like for me, you know, uh, I, doing I, I what just, I do, I just can't, like for me, there's no justification for that. Because I didn't actually notice that he was using them. I was just like, he was, a, he was like tough. Anyway, um, he, he <laughs> broke Matt's uh, fingers at one point in season oh, one. Right, I'd forgotten about that. Um, but yeah, like it was very hard, yeah, to kind of, really feel the threat of the hand and all that stuff. Cause, and especially because there was so much else going on. You're just like, oh, it's yeah. just another thing. Oh, it's just it's just another thing that's distracting Matt from his, I was going to say his real life, but I'm like, it's all his real life. Well, that's the thing. I think one of the bigger problems with this season is that they're trying to sort of go uh, pit um, Daredevil against Matt in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and it never finds balance. The, the season ends, I, I feel like it, it, his arc in the season wasn't finished. Like, he wasn't the main main character of the end of the season almost. Well, he seems to be fighting the same battle at the end as he's fighting at the beginning. And it's the same, it's the eternal battle for his soul, you know. But 
I yeah. and it's an interesting battle, but you're you're kind of right. Um, it's not, uh, it's not the same kind of development. No, they're they're yeah, it they're, it lacks it. It kind of develops up to a point, and then they drop a lot of that in favor of the kind of manic storytelling towards the end, and they they take away a lot of the character stuff. I I was a much bigger fan of the. Uh, first half of the season and the latter half of the season in a lot of ways for this season. But it does feel like they've kind of dropped a lot of the stuff, the uh, thematic things in favor of like, oh, we've got to kill off Electra. And and also that bit where Matt says he's going to run away with Electra felt really out of character and weird and just like I didn't like that. No, I I never felt came out of his, nowhere. So we, the fight we had before we started recording was that I think Karen and Matt have great chemistry and Katie really disagrees. But I don't. I didn't get that. I didn't understand why he was so into Electra that he wanted to run away with her. It, I never ever got that through the whole time they were together. I was just like, she's kind of an. Uh, of, it, she tosses between an annoying presence and an, an unavoidable thing, and I, I, I never felt that for them. I don't know if it was a chemistry problem or not. I, f- I had trouble with the actress playing Electra because her accent drove me bananas. <laughs> that's her accent. It drove me bananas. It is the worst. It's terrible. She's like, but that's her accent. It's the worst. I I could not deal with her talking. Like she is. She's <laughs> obvious. She's French, right? So she's got the European lilt to her voice. But she, when she speaks English, it's like she's been taught English by a really posh English person, and it yeah. just was so bizarre. It was the weird, weirdest accent ever, and I couldn't. It took me until like I did a quick second, like top and tails today, and I realized she's not a bad actress. It's just I couldn't deal with the voice. For some reason, it really worked for me because it really sold the lifestyle and the arrogance that she lives with every day. Mm. Because like she talks about how she wanted to kill someone just to see if she could get away with it, mm-hmm. and that level of arrogance annoys me as much as her accent. So they were, they just, yeah. it felt weirdly right that I was annoyed every time she spoke. Yeah, you, actually, you have a good point there because her arrogance is, it drives me absolutely nuts. And I think part of me is annoyed that they were making her out to be such a femme fatale because it was so obvious. Like they were being all like, oh, Matt could have this nice girl, Karen, and he could be he could be happy and settled with, with his friends. But no, this temptress has got to come into his life. And that feels like this really old-fashioned sexist trope that I don't like. But the, yeah. her arrogance, like the, just the wanton property damage and all that kind of stuff drove me. Uh, the rich kid behavior just drove me nuts. I think there's something interesting that Daredevil does. Uh, that It often introduces characters as unsympathetic that you're supposed to feel for later. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Electra, Punisher, Stick... Um, I am, you know, big into first impressions and, and when the first impression is one of somebody that I don't like, it takes a lot to win me over and, uh, none of them did. Electra, I think, had her moments. John Bernthal did a really good job as Punisher and I sort Mm -hmm. of intellectually understood the stuff that they were saying about him, but I never really felt for him as a character and I hate stick. So see now, as soon as I have money, I'm going out to buy Punisher comics because I was so won over by Punisher. In a way, I wasn't with Electra, but Punisher totally won over. Yeah, I think the deal with Punisher is that he's not ever supposed to win you over in, in the sense that you're rooting for him, but mm. I think he's supposed to win you over in the sense that you also don't want anything bad to happen to him because as horrible a person as he is, he really is coming from a understandable place. Mm. And I think if you think Punisher is cool, there's something wrong with you, 
But if you think the Punisher is interesting, like that, I totally get. And that's what I think they did a really good job of selling. This yeah, yeah. I, I, I just wanted to know didn't... more about him. I just, I yeah. really wanted to dive into him, which is, I guess, the point. And I think, actually, the way they did run Punisher, I did wonder if they sort of started work on a Punisher series, the standalone Punisher series, which is still rumored to happen, and then yeah. decided to weave him into Daredevil because it almost feels like the start of his own. Uh, series at the beginning there, those especially those first four episodes, especially up to that bit where he's got Matt tied up and they have that really long conversation. I liked yeah, that. Absolutely. I liked. Uh, I thought Charlie Cox was excellent in that scene. Mm, wasn't um, good that whole I haven't thing. seen him that kind of emotional and desperate since Nelson v Murdoch, and it was really interesting and really cool. I like that the show didn't come down on the morality of what Punisher does. It never kind of took a stand on whether it was right or wrong for Punisher to do what Punisher does, and that was a clever way to handle it, I think. Rather than just saying, oh, he shouldn't do this or he should do this, they presented both arguments and then let you decide that, um, yeah, and I absolutely. liked that. Um, but I, I guess I just, I mean, I didn't think he was going to die or anything bad was going to happen to him which made it kind of hard to care about it same thing with Electra. you know she's going to die at the end of the season and they're going to bring her back so it doesn't really do anything for me um because i don't care like if i know that's going to happen there's not a lot for me to be invested in there um and they kind of they they went too quick with that her making a choice to stay with Matt and then her killing again. It just happened too fast. Mm-hmm. Um, so you never kind of get settled into the idea that maybe she's trying to change because it happens in like ten minutes. Um, and uh, there is also there's one thing that really irritated me with Electra, which is that there's one female gangster in this whole movie who actually fights and she fights Electra. She's one of the Yakuza girls who, uh, oh, yeah. Yakuza, Yakuza people yeah. who break in and then Electra fights the only girl while two guys take on Matt and then Electra goes and sort of helps at the end of that Matt fight after taking out the girl and I was like, this is just girl fight. This is terrible. Mm. This is a terrible trope. Also, they went full on with the law of inverse ninja powers. Like, the more ninjas there were, there were, the easier they were to defeat. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, like the hospital <laughs> battle. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that, I love Claire. God, I love Claire. Oh, wasn't Claire amazing? There's a bit, I think it's like episode 10 or 11, where, um, oh, yeah, it's where Foggy's in the hospital and Matt doesn't go and visit him and I'm I so mad. <laughs> All my notes for that episode are, go and visit your goddamn friend, Matthew. Um, because for some reason in my head, he's Matthew. Um, which, but which he's Matthew when he's in trouble. I yeah, think. yeah, well, that's what Electra calls him, actually. Oh, there's yeah. an interesting thing with his nicknames. Like, he's Electra always calls him Matthew and um, Stick always calls him Matty. Um, yep. Everyone else calls him Matt, except occasionally Foggy calls him Buddy. But I was like, his dad called him Matty, too. Yeah, that's right. And he doesn't go and visit his friend, and I was so mad. But anyway, she goes up to the roof and just lays down the law with him. Like, she has no more fucks to give. And she's like, Matthew? Get down off your cross. <laughs> like, it's, a, it's a, that scene is really good. She's amazing. My notes for the beginning of that scene say Marta, 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 Marta over and over again. Yeah. He's just, he's such a Marta, Parkour Marta, Matt is. Um, Parkour Marta. He's, he's yeah, such a baby. He's such a baby. Like, it, it's so frustrating to watch him be all, and, and watch him push Foggy away and then, like, expect Foggy to save the relationship like Foggy has to do every single time. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. the Because the, the beginning of the season, for me, was, like, heaven. I was so happy. Um, the whole, like, I don't want to lose you scene was lovely. And then Foggy's so worried about Matt and he goes and finds him and he helps him. And then Matt's hearing goes out and he doesn't tell anybody about it because oh. he's an idiot. Um, mm-hmm. All of that stuff. I would watch a season of that stuff. 
Like, I would watch a you're, season... You're of... sad, though, that, like, you can't make a TV series where everyone's happy. No, like, no but so that's the thing is that everybody's conflict. not happy. There's still conflict going on. But, like... And, and, you know, and I like the law stuff. I like watching, um, I liked watching the trial and all that sort of thing. I think yeah, it loses. Yeah, handling that stuff. Yeah. It, the, the show tends to lose me when it gets really focused on the daredeviling by itself. Um, and that's what it does. It sort of, it starts off, you know, with Matt the lawyer and Matt the daredevil. And then ev- at the end of every season, Foggy's shoved aside, Karen is put in distress and, uh, it's Daredevil all the time, and there's no Matt left. And they do it... I don't know that... Do you think, though, that maybe by having Matt indulge his most selfish urges, it gives the other two characters a chance to grow on their own? Because I feel like at the end of the season, Karen actually gets to a much healthier place as a character, and Foggy, like, he's probably not going to end up where he sort of ends the season, but he at least he sort of is able to become his own person and stop being, you know, the law sidekick. Yeah, they both. That... Yeah, they both do. They both. Yes, I'm just really mad at Matt. Yeah, I, well, <laughs> see, and I, I, I was able to forgive my madness at Matt because it did allow the other two to kind of find their own callings a bit more. Especially, particularly Karen. That was interesting that she, yeah, absolutely, actually found a whole found a whole new calling away from these two. Whereas, like Matt and Foggy have already know already know what their calling is, and Matt and Foggy just got better at it. Whereas, um, yes. yeah, it was um, I'm just too invested in the friendship between them and the stuff that. Like I fell in love with with season one. That's the problem. Like I, I can recognize all of these things are true and still just be so angry. <laughs> like, yeah, I get, I get that. Okay, <laughs> I recognize that. Yeah, Foggy's probably, you know, uh, well, I don't think he is better off. Actually, I think it's going to be a problem because, um, I think Matt and Foggy balance each other in that Foggy reminds Matt about the important sort of uh, the the people that Matt's trying to protect and the importance of you know, having a friend and, and that somebody cares about him and all that sort of stuff. Mm. And and Matt reminds Foggy to uh do the right thing and, and, and to um to try and, you know, protect the innocent and all that sort of stuff. Otherwise mm. Foggy's going to be a lot more um money driven and that yeah because that's kind of where he's coming from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh I'm a little bit worried about corporate Foggy, but I, I think that uh yeah, I think those two need each other. I think they need to balance each other out which is clearly the case by the time Matt goes completely off the rails by the end of the season. Mm. But I do, and this is a problem I actually have with the show, the way it's structured. I don't like the way that they always write Foggy out. Oh, of the of the big climax at the end. Yeah, they always, or, or, you know, whatever's going on with Daredevil, Foggy just gets pushed to the side. They bring Karen in, but they're always just shutting Foggy out of everything. Um, and And that, I think, is a writing problem. They don't know what to do with him, and so they just sort of put him in a corner somewhere till the season's over. There's a couple of really effective scenes early on. Uh, firstly, where Foggy runs up all those stairs to find Matt after he's been shot in the head by dead. Oh, my God. Yeah, I know. Oh, my God. And then there's when – um uh, oh, and when they send in Grotto for the, the DA's sting operation – and Foggy goes running yeah, yeah. after he's, To Karen, he's like, no, we have to stay here. It's safe. And then as soon as Matt's in trouble, he just runs yeah. out. Yeah, oh. so though, <laughs> that is quite effective because that actually does show Foggy running into that world. But you're right, otherwise he doesn't really run into it. And as much as at the end I'm like, yeah, I can sort of see him working for Jerry Hogarth. I can see that working out. I hate her. Um, oh, I really like this her. This is calling she's back like to the my Jessica Jones. Jessica Jones. She's an awful person, but she's fascinating. She's my second least um, favorite yeah, after you. that that neighbor girl, the incest neighbor girl, who I couldn't stand mm. any moment she was on screen. <laughs> I, f- I feel about Jerry Hogarth a bit like I feel about um, 
Punisher, honestly. I'm like fascinated. Yeah, I'm with you. I'd want more. But um I'm I'm actually all for Foggy going. I like Marcy. Because I think she Oh yes. I, I love Marcy. Get, Marcy is my favorite. Marcy just is she the way she saunters in with a teddy bear and a bottle of booze into oh, Foggy's there. <laughs> into Foggy's room and then proceeds she's pretty great. to drink the booze. Yeah, she's amazing. <laughs> I want more of her. Mm. It was um, I felt like she lit up things when she turned up. Yeah, I love I love Marcy. My favorite part of Jessica Jones, as Melissa knows, but Matt might not, is um when Claire showed up. Yes. <laughs> so like it's not entirely surprising then Je- that Jerry showing up on Daredevil made me kind of go oh. But it might mean that Foggy might be on Jessica Jones, which would like really bring the whole show up for me. If we could have just a law spin-off that was just Hogarth and Foggy and Marcy, I'd be super happy. That'd be fine. <laughs> that would be amazing. Like Karen and Claire procedural. Come? Well, I feel like that'd be pretty lonely if they took everybody over to that show. <laughs> I don't care. Matt deserves to be lonely for a little while until he realizes his mistakes and goes and apologizes to, to everybody and buys them clothes. Yeah, I don't know. You're not wrong. Um, it, re- oh, Matt will get this. Um, it reminded me so much of Angel season two this season. Yeah. Um, where Angel kind well, of goes I mean, off look- the rails and, and, uh, and kind of distances himself from everybody and acts like a dick a lot of the time. But in Angel season two, they fixed it and he bought Cordelia clothes. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, it's a pretty common superhero trope. Like, in to- this situation, C- Foggy is Cordelia. Yes. Yes. That's perfect. Yes. Yeah. I think that's fair. Yeah. But Matt and, and Angel specifically are very similar. Yeah. They ways. are. Well, Angel and Batman were already pretty similar, and then, you know, Matt and Batman have that going on, so. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think it's interesting, too, that the the way they handle Matt's sort of arrogance about what he can achieve, they manage to balance it out with his Catholic guilt in a way that I can buy, you know, in a way that, like with Batman, I always think it's kind of put on and sort of Mm. very sort of, like, thickly laid out. But I, I just, I get it a lot more with that because I, I see how it's when, when it comes from guilt it's such an unhealthy thing mm. but also such a relatable thing for me mm. so yeah I'm, I'm, I, I get it in a, in a way that I generally don't and I think that's why I'm more comfortable with it and I don't have that sort of mat rage that I guess you do Katie because I can see oh, I understand it as well I, relate to. <laughs> I get yeah. it too like uh, I, I like Daredevil more than Batman as well but um, Matt's kind of Catholic guilt is is such a big part of him and there was that scene with uh, Father Lantern, who is also not in this season enough, I don't think. Yeah. Um, but yeah. there's that scene where Lantern's like, oh, yeah, your guilt means that um, you're not done yet. Yes. And I'm like, oh, no. you idiot. <laughs> his guilt means that it's a day ending in Y. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, this is Daredevil. Yeah. Haven't you watched this before? Yeah, I, I actually wrote that down when I was watching it. Like, oh, Well, the line is different better, from the trailer Father. line. Yeah. Um, in the trailer, he said something slightly different. In the show, he actually mm. said something different. You can also, like, my notes – um, I didn't take as many notes in the first few episodes and then there's more and more as the show goes on because I sort of, uh, I was so invested in the first few episodes and I didn't want to stop watching. And then as the show went on, I started writing things down. I, I'm I was the less... reverse, but for the same reason, I was much less invested in the second half, but I was, I don't know. I, I kind of liked the Irish guys too. Oh my God. Vincent van Gogh. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Tony Curran. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I know. I was so excited when he showed up, but I could, I still can't see him as anything other than Vincent, but um, yeah, the Irish it took me mom. a while to to place him, and then when I did, I was like, "Yeah, he was so good, and he was in one episode." Mm-hmm. So I was good. like, "Make him a, a kind of a Wesley type character that's in a lot of, or a, or a Madame Gao or somebody like." Uh, yeah, the, I was, missed that. I was so mad when they killed him off because I was like, "Yeah, you really could have made a good impression." I do find that, um, although as much as I thought Fisk was a total highlight, he's missing Wesley. Like the oh, the I loved oh, Wesley. Yeah. 
That new I'm lo- missing Wesley. Yeah, I miss Wesley. Mm. The new lawyer is no pa- not a patch on Wesley. Oh, there was this trend in this season as well of like like middle-aged black actors that seemed like they'd stepped out of like late 80s early 90s action movies. <laughs> yes. In the very beginning of the season there's this cop with like a moustache that just was so much like a cop in a 90s action movie that I wrote that down. And then the lawyer was like that as well. Mm-hmm. Both of them mm-hmm. just had this kind of big acting thing that reminded me of like, yeah, those kinds of action movies. Um, I think they were kind of balanced out by Brett, who was great um, and get, yes. gets a lot of work this season, which I think is terrific. I like having that. Mm. Um, that element to it. Um, yeah, I, I liked the Mahoney stuff, especially the bit where he gives him the collar, the the Punisher collar, the arrest. Yeah. That was nice. You know who I think had more um, chemistry than Karen and Matt? Who? Karen and Frank. Yeah. Oh, yes. Once they got together, that actually got really interesting. Actually, pretty much anybody in Karen rather than Matt and Karen. I felt no chemistry. Like watching those scenes of them flirting was so awkward to me. Like, I, I felt oh, really? like, yeah, I couldn't take that. It was like watching brother and sister flirting for me. I couldn't. It really upset me. I, um, and, mm-hmm. and, you know, watching them third wheel foggy and, and, uh, but, but Matt and Karen made me very uncomfortable. Like, it, it felt very awkward to me. Um, Matt and Claire have two seconds together and I'm like, yes, please more. Um, I think the <laughs> problem with Matt and Karen is that it kind of comes out of nowhere. It, it wasn't, really obvious last season and then mm. from episode one she's laying it on thick well it, it was kind of karen had a bit of a crush on matt last season and and foggy had a crush on karen mm. but it was kind of like they had that sorted and then they were just friends mm. and then this season it's like whoa i'm in love with you and you're like really Where? why mm, and poor foggy <laughs> and poor foggy just being third wheeled and pushed out and getting to have a couple of badass lo- lawyer moments and then nothing i think to me their relationship was very much them both fooling themselves because obviously Matt was trying to yes. pretend that he didn't have this darker side, but so is Karen in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And I think the parts of them that are attracted to each other are the best parts of each other, but they also were just shutting out to each other the darker sides of each other, if that makes sense. And I don't Matt think Matt and Karen are too similar. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're very similar in a lot of ways. Um, I think, I don't think they balance each other. I think they're way too similar to each other to work because they're both, mm. um, obsessed with like doing the right thing and finding out the truth. And like they'll, they'll just put anybody in harm's way and then Matt will feel guilty about it. But Karen, <laughs> Karen is like, uh, I, I, at the end of season one, I sort of thought Karen was the most dangerous character in the show in a lot of ways. Um, which is why I kind of wasn't feeling your Saint Karen thing because Karen is somebody who will, uh, go after the truth and go after the right things so in such a hard-headed way that she will like put Ben in danger and and uh put other people in danger her editor now all of those people as long as she's going after the truth she doesn't kind of worry about that stuff until after the consequences have happened was she if the, I think the thing is she doesn't struggle in the way Matt does she doesn't have the Catholicism or the the spiritual conflict to let her know that she's the she's also a bit of a vigilante. She actually just thinks she's a normal yeah. person. Mm. Yeah, and and the th- but the other problem with Karen is that they keep putting her in situations where like she's just constantly in danger. Um, and a lot of the time she's capable of getting herself out of the danger. But I get really really frustrated at the show that Karen gets to do like she's just in it all the time doing everything, and like 
they put her in danger and they they have Matt saving Karen all the time and and they don't do anything with Foggy and it's I I feel like the show kind of uh has the same obsession with Karen that Steve Cloves has with Hermione where like they have a big crush on her and they ca- try and kind of paint all of her flaws away they want it to be the Karen show and not the Jennifer show well yeah well not really but uh, to me, I, th- I feel like the reason that Karen's always the one in danger is because she's the one who puts herself in danger. Like, she's the one who... Uh, the reason it'd be harder to buy Foggy in that role is because Foggy is always the one trying to pull the guys out of that danger. Mm. So rather than them having to sort of artificially construct reasons why Foggy would be the one in danger, I buy it a lot more from Karen because she is dangerous. She's the one who always puts herself in harm's way and other people in harm's way. And a lot of the conflict in the season is of her creating. So that's why I think that as much as like there is that St. Karen image, that's only that what Matt sees. I don't know that the show sees her that way. I think the show does see her as a very dangerous and conflicted and problematic character. I think that the show ships Matt and Karen more than I do. The The very last scene of the season kind of confirms that a bit for me. But again, that was I, – I got a bit frustrated with it for, like, dangling this carrot in front of my face all the time where it was like, oh, Foggy's calling Matt to tell him about Brett and then hang up. Oh, uh, Matt's going to Nelson and Murdoch to talk to Karen. Um, so, like, I, I think it – you know, that affected me as well. But uh, that very last scene where he tells Karen, I'm like, yes, finally, but also, like, they're choosing to end it on this note – and not fix all of the other problems was a little frustrating for me. But that's because yeah, I, I was really I invested know. in seeing something happen. And also, they broke up for uh, Matt and Foggy so early. Like, oh, yeah. so early. So much of this season was just not, like, there was no kind of other side of it. I mean, the, so much of this season was just Foggy being mad at Matt and then them, them being broken up. And then they settled the bar tab and I nearly cried. <laughs> yeah, that's a, a very representative mode of the whole season, isn't it? But to me, like, Nelson and uh, Nelson v. Murdoch has this ripple effect all through season two, and I think the reason mm. they broke up so early was because they really did break up then, and as much as they tried to mend fences in between, the differences between them were pretty, like, they couldn't reconcile them. Yeah. So like, it felt like a pretty organic evolution of where they I don't know if they couldn't reconcile them. It felt more like Matt didn't want to. Well, I, I think... For Matt to reconcile them, he would have had to stop being Daredevil, and he, that's not what he wants. I don't you know? agree so. with that. I don't actually think that's true, because the thing is that Foggy kind of goes to Matt to try and... Um, it, it's not only about him stopping being Daredevil. He goes to Matt for a, f- a few times to try and be like, well, then, like, you know, let me in on it. He won't let him in on it, so he doesn't... So he's like, well, then you have to stop. And then um, there's that the last scene where Matt really breaks up with Foggy... Foggy goes to Matt's apartment and he, and Matt's the one who's like, yeah, I'm doing all this stuff. And Foggy's like, I didn't come to talk about that. And Matt's yep. the one who's like, no, I am. I'm, and he just kind of, he, he, Foggy went to try and like discuss things and fix things. And Foggy's always very honest with his emotions and all that sort of stuff. And Matt's just not opening up at all. And that's the, what they talk about later. So they keep talking about all this stuff. And I kept thinking it related to Matt and Foggy and the show seemed to think it related to Matt and Karen. Well, I think that as much as like, Foggy says he's there to try and mend fences. Every time they do and Matt makes that concession, Foggy immediately brings it back to, oh, you need to stop being Daredevil. It's too dangerous. You're putting us in harm's way. It's affecting the firm. So I think that was just Matt getting to a point of like, we keep doing this dance of you saying you want to get back together and then we do it and then you're angry all the time about it. 
You know what I mean? Well, Matt, yeah. I mean, Foggy is angry about it, but at the same time, like, what, what happens is Matt blames everything else for it. Um, Foggy keeps saying, no, you're making these choices. And Matt's like, oh, no, it's not my fault because Electra did this thing and this person did this thing. And he's like, no, you have to take responsibility for that because he does have to take responsibility for the fact that he wasn't ready for the trial because he chose to go with Electra to do this other thing. Now, he didn't know it was part of this massive kind of overarching plot at the time. He was just kind of charmed by the idea of going off and doing heists with Electra. And I like, don't think that's true. I, I think they understood the scope of what was going on, if not the specifics. Not like, at that time, because that, at that time all he thought it was about was the um, Yakuza yeah, and her uh, little infiltration of the uh, – they should go to a meeting at the Yakutomi building, which is yeah. so close to being the Yakutomi building. <laughs> so, so close. So close. Yeah, point. but that's actually got nothing to do with the hand. Um, he, he doesn't know any about any of that stuff at that right, point. Right. No, but but she sells it in as the Yakuza is taking over Hell's Kitchen and we have one chance to and, stop And them. you haven't – you didn't defeat them last time, so you're responsible. Because like, uh, Electra exactly. is a magnificent um, example of emotional quittage, which is a Bridget Jones term, sorry. But it's about like that um, – <laughs> that sort of she knows which buttons to push with him and she's like an expert at doing that and she can do it so much better than foggy which is again part of that larger conflict between his better angels and the devil which is that um you know that the devil always has the more interesting proposal and foggy is an angel yes foggy's the angel Foggy is a wonderful angel who i love and just deserves all the good things and none of the bad things but um but, yeah, I, I understand that. I just think Matt st- needs to start I, – I agree with Foggy in that Matt needs to start taking responsibility for his own behavior. He doesn't do that, and he never does – like, the thing is, a lot of that stuff is pushed aside for Electra sacrificing herself for Matt, and that's how the season ends. And it seems like the lesson that he learned was it was worth being in love with her and not, like, I shouldn't put everything on Daredevil, and I should – like, that's not all of me. It was very kind of – I feel like a lot of the uh, the interesting conflict was not actually dealt with. Right. But he and does also he start- goes back to Karen as like his second choice after Electra. Oh, Electra's dead. I'm going back yeah, to Karen well, now. And that sucks. And obviously they're not going to work out ever full time. Yeah. Like it's just never going to happen, which is why I wrote the thing about the sainted Karen, because neither Electra nor Karen is right for him. No, like Claire is. Um, yes. Let's get Claire back. Uh, and, but he does, I think he does start to own the daredevil stuff towards the end. I think he, he does actually start to own that. Not until after Claire yells at him, but he does. Really? Based on what? Well, based on the fact that he actually does start to own what he's done and he makes an active choice about going with Electra and working with her to do whatever they're doing. Bring down the hand. Okay. Um... Yeah, yeah, okay. I think you, we could talk about Matt needing to take responsibility for his actions, but, but there is an extent to which where the external forces do guide his life in a way that it, it really is out of his control all the time. Like, we, we all are very uncomfortable that Matt turns up so late to that trial, but it, it was his decision to either go to the trial or potentially let the Yakuza take over New York. So, like, it, it's he's in a place where there's no right answer. Well, no, he. I think he thinks he's in a place where he is the only person mm. who can save the city. Oh, and, certainly. Yeah. And he, like, he, and like, I know that uh, Claire takes him on about this, but also, even very early on, he's he he just kind of I have to be out there every night because every minute I'm out there, every minute I'm not out there, there's someone else being hurt, and he kind of takes on the responsibility for everything as though he's the only person who cares in the entire place 
So it's yeah. external to a point, but it is, it's his own character that drives him to it. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like he he sort of feels like that it's all these external forces, but it isn't. Yeah, but I feel like he starts to embrace that. But anyway. actually, you know what I'm thinking of now? Um, I think the show kind of went for that with like all of his victims uh, being in one place. He can go save all of them or save Electra. And he goes and saves all of them. All of the people he's ever saved. I mean, yeah. All of his victims. Oh, sorry. That was <laughs> all, of, so are the, all of the other people's victims. All of the victims is what I was yep. trying to. Yeah. yeah sorry. Yeah. That was dumb. Um, so all of the victims that he saved, um, which, by the way, that gangster guy who I don't remember the name of always cracks me up every scene he's in. I was really glad that he was there. But again, Karen not taking responsibility for her actions and stuff. Like she gets him to turn the thing back on and that gets his ankle nearly cut off mm-hmm. um so way to go karen well, um, i feel like maybe that's well, but it also saves time. them because it does also do save them but that's what i mean like that's what karen does you know she oh, she is uh that person um but yeah matt kind of, but that's another thing where you're like what you're really going to save just electra over like dozens of people some of whom have done absolutely nothing um but i think that's kind of what the show was going for is that he's choosing like I guess Karen over Electra is is that moment, which is not really oh, what he's no, doing. But I, I think yeah, it, it's it's him choosing the city over Electra, which then he immediately says, "I wouldn't choose the city over you. I would choose you and run away with you, just to make her death uh, have more of an emotion." I guess. Yeah, and as we discussed before, that doesn't have feel more real. of an emotion. Well, really, yeah, Katie? and as we discussed before, that doesn't actually feel real. That he says, "Run away with me." No, I'll run away with you. That was yeah. that was awful. That was just awful writing. Yeah, I understood where they were coming from that, in that Electra is supposed to be Matt's dark side, not in an evil way, but in a just, like, desperate need to run away from everything. In the same way that when they were younger, Matt was so attracted to Electra because she was the one who allowed him to indulge himself. In she was such a bad influence. I know. But, oh, the worst. Absolutely the worst. And I think in that moment, that's him flirting with that worst impulse of like, you know what, f*** it, let's just run away. Let's just leave it all behind. Like, that's not who Matt is, but in that moment, faced with overwhelming odds, he went to that place and it wasn't handled super well. But I understand. Actually, I did like I the b- flashbacks. The feeling of having a, like a bad ex as well. Like the, the person mm. who yeah, messes with you like that. Especially the, at that age, you know? Yes, the, we do when, in uni, When you're yes. 21, like, yes. yeah. <laughs> yep. I get it. Uh, just sit here quietly on that one. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I mean, I get it. I just, I, and I liked the flashback stuff actually. And that kind of was interested in their dynamic at the beginning. Oh, it made me so mad. But it the shifted flashback so fast. Because I think I was 31, well, 33 and looking back on being like 10 years ago and being that, yeah, who did stupid shit when they were like young and in uni and just hating yourself. Yes. I was, <laughs> I hate it. Just yeah. I, every time I sat through, I was like, God, they're damaging this guy's house. Why are you doing? You're, they're just breaking glass this year. They're just <laughs> that's property damage. Yes, all the property. Damage. Yeah, Why and are then you they, doing that to the gym, <laughs> and then they just sort of allow it because the guy was a bad guy. I know. Oh, you know that. The, I I had lots of awkward feelings during those flashbacks. Yeah, yeah that was, was interesting. Real, definitely. Yeah, a little too real. It was interesting to deal with Matt's dad's death in a flashback with Electra. Uh, yeah. Um, Matt's dad's murder in a flashback with Electra. That was kind of an odd, like, oddly emotional scene for something that wasn't part of the main plot. That's the appeal yeah, of me, Electra, I, though. 
But she no, just yeah. just as a structural thing, not as a character oh. thing. Um, it's odd for me to deal with something that was such a major kind of part of season one because we don't see Matt's dad at all in season two. Um, to have that be part of a flashback that happens with Electra was kind of weird for me. I think that's reflective of the fact that the person who killed Matt's dad is much less important to Matt than, say, it is with Batman, because he doesn't hold that same anger at a person. He's just angry at injustice generally. generally. Whereas with with Bruce, it's a, a lot more of a case of being hung up on that one moment for his entire life. Whereas mm-hmm. I think Matt has sort of, like, was really clearly badly affected by losing his dad, but then there are plenty more bad moments all throughout his life that have shaped Sick. him. So it's stick, not quite stick, as stick, a, stick. like larger fulcrum of a moment. I think that makes sense. that's interesting. Um, it's like a uh, what the difference between a rich kid losing their parents and a poor kid losing their parents. There's plenty yeah, more worse shit that can go on when you're poor. Yeah. Yes. I think there's yeah, a other stuff so. going on too, though, because uh, the um the major kind of villain of this season was killed by Stick. Um, yes. In a kind of not, it wasn't a big emotional showdown. It was just stick killing him. Um, and not even in like a really kind of, uh, um, character defining way, like, uh, when Giles killed Ben. Like, it was just a kind of minor thing. That you was, f- feel like that was sta- very odd Stick's to me. done a few decapitations like that. Yeah. But, oh, yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I'm kind of talking about rather than a character thing, like as a storytelling device, both of those seem strange to me because they're not, um, you're allowing the, the, uh, sort of major defining bad guy of season two to be killed by a third tier character um, in a, like after the major event has happened, which is a weird, weird, like a a very awkward kind of storytelling device to me. Well, this is part of the whole overarching problem of the season, not having a big villain and and an equally matched, like who's equally matched to Matt. And they're just, it's part of their problem. It's not like Matt has a real emotional relationship with Nobu either. I mean, well, obviously, he kind of you know, does because Nobu, Nobu nearly killed Matt, and then that led to Nelson v Murdoch, and that was like a major plot point of last season. They could have built yeah, that but, up a lot more, and you don't feel it. But it's not like the, Nobu had an emotional stake in that moment, and neither did Matt really. I well, think Nobu had that, an emotional stake in that he kill he ends up killing the thing that he's supposed to be. Worshipping and protecting, which I thought they could have oh, done yeah, more I with think as well. Much more between Nobu and Electra than there's between Nobu and Matt. But if Matt's and protecting again, it, I just think they didn't build it up enough. If Matt's protecting Electra, they could have built that up for a few more episodes as like and like wo- woven it in with a main plot that kind of like, this is what I mean. Like it's all kind of very um, what's the word that I'm looking for? It's like fragmented. Um, yeah, this I, bit happens. I think this the bit problem happens, is Nobu being the main villain in general. You know, I don't yeah. know that there was a fix for that particular situation. Mm-hmm. I don't. I just don't think that Nobu carried enough weight, and there was nothing, like not really anything that could have been done to make that feel like what it should have been, because it's just Nobu in the end. Yeah, and that's and that's all the all the problems of the second half of the season. All the and that zombie thing that comes up and then is just kind of dropped. Oh, with the yeah. Um, yeah, the the immortality thing where they're sucking the blood from the random children of the corn people, and hmm. although that horror oh, movie moment too. was great, yeah. What's with the giant hole in New York? Uh, that's the most interesting mystery that's brought up and never, ever resolved. I, I have no idea what's going on. Like, I can only assume that it's either going to play more into season three or in Iron Fist or something. Yeah. Because 
They made a giant hole in New York, ended an episode on it, and then never mentioned it again. Right. Yep. It, it had a fight, and then then no. Electric got hurt, and we just cared uh, about that. Apparently, yeah. No, you're so right. And um, I don't know. Are we getting defenders before we get another season of of Daredevil? They have. I'm not sure that they've confirmed the schedule, no. but I wouldn't be surprised if we get Defenders first. Oh, God, if they don't fix Matt and Foggy for, like, another two years, I'm going to die. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not kidding. Like, I have to read, like, a thousand Fix-It Fix for this season. Like, I just can't cope yeah. with it. I'm I'm so upset. I, well, I think it will depend on their ratings, I have to be brutally honest, because Daredevil wasn't supposed to get a second season before, uh, like, Luke Cage and Iron Fist got their shows, but it did because it was so yeah. popular. So there's a chance we could have another season before the Defenders come, but I, yeah, like you, I don't know what the schedule is on that. Um, But I feel like it's going to play into, yes, everything. Giant hole. Yeah. I mean, really. I, it does worry me slightly, because I don't even know that Netflix knows what the schedule is on that. And the time between the shows seems so tenuous at this point that I'm not convinced they have an overall plan. I have something I want to talk about. Did you think did yes. any, uh, this this ep- this season was so much a setup for Civil War and Matt should therefore be in Civil War? Discuss. Oh, I, look, I wish. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Me too. Apparently he's not in Civil War, but I feel like he could make an appearance and almost should given how strongly he clearly feels about it. Yeah, I think the only problem there is that Civil War already has a hundred characters in that film. Ugh, I know, it, the I thing that gets me about it is that Matt, of all people, is so much affected by what they're talking about in Civil War. Like, he is a vigilante superhero working in New York who doesn't want his real-life identity to be found. He is he is the poster child of this storyline. Yeah, and yeah. It, it clearly but ties into it. Oh, sorry. Sorry, you continue. Uh, I, I, I just think that he's too small time for that scale is the only thing. Like, as much as within the context of the Netflix world, what goes on in Daredevil is big scale and important, when you compare it to the Battle of New York or you, what happens in Winter Soldier, the stuff in Daredevil is really just low-level crime stuff, so I don't know that he would be immediately directly affected. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't agree with that. Well, it depends on what they're actually doing with Civil War, but it does seem like they're going for the um, superheroes should be held responsible for their action storyline, which definitely affects Matt. Yeah, and there's a whole like other storyline about either not not necessarily not being able to trust the police, but the police not having the level of power that's needed to deal with the problems that people are facing, which is, of course, an interesting yeah. social commentary. But hmm, Yeah, I'd, there's definitely a parallel story there. Yeah, so it just felt it. It actually felt like it was really setting up for it. Like, I mean, I know that all of the shows are currently setting up for Civil War. Even Agent Carter was setting up for Civil War. But yeah, I, I just felt like it almost felt natural that he's going to show up in it. I I know it's probably not going to happen, but I can a girl can dream. Yeah, look, I would love it if that happened. I, I'm to be honest, I'm really hoping for Infinity War to get some of the defenders in it. But mm-hmm. we'll see how we go. Yeah, okay. fingers crossed. Well, Matt, I mean. You know, after Foggy, Matt's my favorite like superhero in the Marvel universe. So after Foggy, is Foggy a superhero? <laughs> yes. Now? What are you talking about? Did you see that, that scene, scene in the hospital? hospital? I'm on board with Foggy being a <laughs> superhero. Oh my god! Yes, I, f- I forgot about that. That is amazing. God, he's so good. Yes, he's so good. I know. I love him so much. I'm so mad. Um, that in the scene with the bikey, I think he has like super empathy powers. That's Foggy's yeah. Powers. Oh, with the bikeys, yes, that is yeah. another amazing scene, and it also shows 
because it's always about Karen being brave and walking into dumbass situations, but that is Foggy walking into a oh, yeah. really terrifying situation and pulling it off, which is Absolutely. why I'm saying that they don't have to write him out all the time. He can do stuff. Well, it's also one of the more interesting things because we don't see a lot of it. It's more interesting to write Foggy into scary situations like that. With his, yeah. I mean, he's like he wears cufflinks and carries a handkerchief. Like it just <laughs> when he goes into the into the the bikey game, it actually works really well. It's actually that's one of the funny things about Foggy. He looks like he'd be like a prep school boy, but he's actually from a really poor background. Grew up in yeah. Hell's Kitchen, and then he like he looks like this lawyer. It's funny. He's an interesting contradiction, Foggy. I know. He's an interesting character. Like, he's a more interesting character than they give him credit for. And they, I just feel like it's lazy writing to constantly, you know, they give him one thing to do and then they write him out. Um, And I just get frustrated with that. Because they've done it two seasons in a row. He's being written out so much as being set up for bigger and better things in season three. Yes, Maybe not just, like the bigger things that you want necessarily, but but he's not I in think, this one. And in the next season of Jessica yeah. Jones and in the Defenders. Yeah, if he's in yeah. Jessica Jones, that will definitely make it easier for me you know to watch who Jessica Jones. Would make an appearance in um, Civil War is Foggy, especially if like lawyers get involved in the drafting of legislation. God, that would be so good. Like he, I know. He and, um, Trinity, her name's not Trinity. Jerry Hogarth could get involved. Yeah. Um. Also, um, I just want to point out the Fargo cameo in this yes, season. Yes. Yes. Oh my god. Um. Have you seen Eureka, Matt? No, I haven't. Uh, okay, you know the little, uh, the weedy little lawyer with the glasses that was like, "I'm into protecting women." The public defender for. Um, oh yeah. Uh, oh yeah, one of the best um, exchanges of the whole thing. He's like, "Oh yeah, I won my first case for domestic violence. I'm really into protecting women." And Karen's like reading something. She's like, "Uh huh, yeah, thanks from all of us." Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, and Foggy's just like just hiding funny. a smile. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he's from. He's one of the main characters in Eureka. Um, but th- that's right. his entire role in this. Is a tiny, tiny bit as public defender. It was well, so. It's a good scene. It yeah. was a good scene. Like that. That scene, I think, might have been the funniest scene of the season. Like it just kind of, you know, was really entertaining. Um, yeah. I kind of liked Reyes. Um, oh yeah, yeah. I thought she, the actress, did a really good job with her. Um, yeah. I mean, she. I know she was awful, but I thought it was interesting. But I also think there's some uh, racism and sexism things going on in this season mm, that are problematic. Yeah, yeah. big time. I think there's this. Oh, there's a bit where. Um, that translator, he's like a professor at, at NYU and he's the person who can apparently translate something that the hand has had written or whatever. And oh, that, yeah. Yeah, oh and, the prostitu- and he's got prostitutes in his ro- in his house and they are Chinese, I think. They're, they're definitely not Japanese. And anyway, No, they're not Chinese because he speaks to them in Chinese. I oh, think they're Korean. Right. Anyway, he, yeah, they're not, anyway saying, he, spe- not he speaks to them in their own language, which is all fine. And then he's like, I know your tongue's better than you. And I'm like, that's just the epitome of white male arrogance, like in one yeah. line. Yeah, but he's supposed to be a bad guy. Right, yeah, is, that's yeah. the thing. Like, I don't think that that is portrayed no, no. as a positive I, I know, I know it's not. But that, that was like one of the things where I was like, hoi boy. No, see, that bothered yeah. me less because they were pointing out that that's not okay, but then they did it, um, which is like that's my bigger problem with it is that oh, oh uh, the only place that's worse than Hell's Kitchen, Chinatown, yeah. and uh, and the exoticism and the, that kind of racism um, because Madame Gao was kind of a uh, that last season, but she was so much more interesting than that. But with the hand and the chaste – 
and the chase being represented by Stick, who's a white guy, and the hand mm-hmm. being like all Asian people. I think they kind of tried to. I, I think that might be one of the reasons why they cast Elodie Young as Electra, mm-hmm. um, to try and mm-hmm. mitigate that a little bit. But then they kill her as well as Reyes, thereby fridging two women of character in this season. Women of color. I women of color know. is what I meant. Uh, yeah, and look, maybe I'm wrong here, but I'm not sure that I would call Electra fridging just because she doesn't die. Like she died temporarily, the, the, and it furthers Matt's storyline. So, well, but it also furthers Electra's storyline because it like does, she's yeah. now going to be in charge of the hand. Mm. Yeah, I get that, but I mean, within this season, what's happened to her is a fridging. Like, well, I think you know when the space of her being dead is what three to four minutes of screen time is that really? <laughs> especially when it certainly doesn't. She's four... not back alive yet. She certainly doesn't feel yeah. But it, I mean, it is because they dug her out, right? Do, she oh, didn't actually come back to life. Yeah, we also do feel it coming as well. We feel the Electra death as being an important part of the season mm. that's coming when it's coming. But anyway, yeah, I don't know so much about um. Yeah, the the DA is it's it sucks because like. All of the people who represent the DA are like black people, and so and yeah. they're they're supposed to be evil. They're, and she mm. is particularly she's considered bad because she's ambitious. And um, yes. when you make someone bad because like especially when it's a woman of color and the badness is her ambition, like yeah, mm, that's a worry. I think she was considered bad because she was awful. I mean, she wouldn't shake hands with Foggy. She was uh, superior and. Like just you know nasty in every way, yeah. but and the ambition was putting, definitely part yeah. of it. And it, but and also it took like putting her kid in danger for her to actually oh see yeah the error of her ways. Um, and then they they like softened her by putting her in that yeah. jumper. Yep, yep. Um, but I mean, like she was just you know horrible anyway. She had so many horrible things about like she was running stings with no regard to like collateral damage and yeah. or the damage that could have been inflicted upon um the person they had in custody and like yeah. Not a not a good person. Poor old Grotto. Who like my God, could you get it have a more Catholic name either? Like Grotto. <laughs> anyway. I mean well the, the whole season starts with a fight in a church, so it's not like they're being subtle about the Catholic stuff. Oh yeah, that's pretty heavy handed. But in a way that like this is a show about metaphors being literalized on so many different levels mm. that did, it kind of works for it. Did anyone see um during the there's a, there's a thing going doing the rounds of the internet about um Caravaggio paintings in this season? Like uh, some of the posters of the characters yeah. being based on Caravaggio paintings of saints. Um, I hadn't seen that. Yes, I'll put it up there you put go. it in the show notes. Um Karen and Frank both are Yeah, it's particularly Karen and um Matt. I didn't look up Frank's bit, but there's Frank's Oh, I did. Yeah, so there's three that they noticed like Frank the poster of Frank is uh, taken from Caravaggio's picture of David and Goliath. He's holding up Daredevil's helmet, um, and <laughs> uh, and then there's the p- a picture of which Ka- would make Frank David. Yeah, that doesn't work. It's very str- it's a very strange um, uh, painting. But then we get Karen being Saint Jerome. Apparently, Saint Jerome was a well known writer, so she's sitting there like there's a picture of her with a skull on her desk writing, and so that's <laughs> like showing her new journey. And there's one of um, Matt, and he is being uh, Saint Sebastian, who's uh, like tied to a tree while arrows get thrown at him, and he's like this young martyr of the Roman era. And, I'd, and um, yeah, I just thought that was really interesting because the op- one of the opening bits where the Irish mob all at dinner and they all get shot up, that looks very um, Caravaggio-esque to me, that sort of chiaroscuro light stuff. Oh, speaking of yeah. the light... Props to the lighting team on this. Oh, my God. They do such a good job. 
Such and I think they were, it was much more consistent this season. Mm. I know in the first half of last season, it started off really strong, but then you got by the end of the season, you had this weirdly well-lit fight in the alley with Fisk that just didn't seem consistent with the rest of the season. Mm. But this time, from start to finish, it felt all of a piece in terms of lighting, and I was really impressed by that. Mm. I thought last season was prettier. Um, I just they somewhere. kind of use a lot of the colors. They 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 fl- they did that f- occasionally in this season, but it wasn't quite as consistent with the like single color um, mm. washes over certain scenes and the, the lights that the came in and stuff like that. Fight, which I think is the step up from the hallway fight from season one, yeah. does that quite well. I think I think yellow it, and green, and then and then um, uh, Daredevil in the red room at the end. Yes, um, the thing yeah. with that fight for me was I, I thought it was not as good as the first one, but not for the reasons that they think that the first one was good. Mm. Um, because it is good because it's a single take fight, right? Yeah. Um, and I'm fairly certain both of them had cuts when things passed in front of the camera. There's a few mask cuts there, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it lo- it's great because of that. But I think for me a lot of the reason that the first fight was so good was because there was so much acting in it. Um, mm-hmm. like Matt's tired, he leans against the walls. Um, there's all these kinds of little moments when he, uh, psychs himself up at the beginning of it. And then the little moment when he takes the mask off at the end and he brings the kid out. Oh. They were all s- character moments and story moments that were woven into the fight. Mm-hmm. Kind of, uh, Mad Max Fury Road style where everything is yeah. like in the action scene. Whereas yeah. this one was just a fight. Yes. Yeah. I agree with you generally, but I do feel like it was a good representation of even after being chained to the wall and being that terrible situation, Matt having that, uh, I'm not even sure how to describe it, but not being able to stop even when he should be overwhelmed and when he has one hand tied up and a chain tied to the other. And it has that sense of, uh, yeah, the, the word's gone from me. But I think what I liked about it was it was almost the reverse of, of the hallway fight scene, where in that he was able to stop and take a, a breather a few moments and had to keep on despite the fact that he was about to pass out. Whereas this is like this like total adrenaline rush fight where he can't stop even for a second because he's so overwhelmed. And I like that. I agree that it's not quite as good, but I, I'm still very impressed by the acting in the sense that it gives you a sense of how hard Matt has to fight through these things. It does look really mm. cool as well. Yeah, it does, look, that. it does look cool. I mean, the first one looked cool too. Um, I actually think the fight choreography was less impressive than last season. Um, Partly because of the inverse ninja law thing, and partly because uh, a lot of the f- the punches don't look like they connect. Um, if you look closely at it, like it, I I don't know if it's a different fight choreographer or a different stunt person or what it is, but it it's there's a couple of things in the fights that the fights didn't hold my interest the same way. Um, um in that like there were errors. They start off strongly. The first time Punisher and Matt meet up, it's kind of like that a was dance. good. Yeah, that was a good fight. It looks yeah. like they're ballroom dancing. It's really good. And Matt has a kind of dancey fighting style when they let him have it. But after that, they're all quite brutal, very much lots of punching and banging and funking and like heavy, <laughs> much heavier. But of course, I think that's a technical term. Yeah, yeah well, because this, it's the sound editing that makes the violence in these sh- this show anyway, because it's all the yeah. like the. No, they had really good fight choreography in season one. Yeah, they had really good fight choreography. Um, I mean, that was one of the things that the show was praised for, um, yeah. along with looking pretty, which season d- two does look pretty. I, I noted a couple of scenes. There's a, um, scene between Foggy and Karen where they're talking that I really like the blocking in, where both of them are mostly obscured. They're, they're pushed into the corner by the other person's head. 
um, that I really liked. And that's kind of when Foggy and, and when uh, Nelson and Murdoch is falling apart. Mm. Um, that worked yep. quite well. I liked the, uh, the way that the conversation between the beaten up Brett and Matt was set up with Matt at the top of the stairs. Um, that was really mm. neat. Mm. Uh, so there were things, um, um, Punisher sitting in front of the playground was a really nice shot. Oh, the carousel, yes. So the carousel, well sorry, mm. yeah. Um, oh, d- I noticed actually with the carousel, there's a whole bunch of like classic horror movie locations that get scattered throughout the episode. Like there's the carousel, there's a cemetery, there's a cabin in the woods at the end. Um, <laughs> it sure is. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of, um, of, of almost all associated with Punisher of like horror movie locations. I just thought that was really interesting. Yeah. Sorry, I'm just looking at a note that I have that says Matt's a dick and Electra is a bad influence and Frank's a dick and Stick is the biggest child-abusing, brainwashing psycho dick. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Which kind of sums up my feelings about the Daredevil stuff this season, I guess. Mm. My notes aren't that emotive apart from Foggy. God damn, is it Foggy? Yeah, mine has Foggy with like hearts around it several (laughs) times. (laughs) Foggy being amazing is is basically the rest of my notes that aren't just Matt's a dick. Mm. Oh, the oh the other horror movie place is like the sewer tunnels, and Matt like yeah. drops down into the sewer tunnels. He does a superhero landing, hell on the knees. That's an awesome shot too. Yeah, that shot mm. is just amazing. There's some really it does. He Spider Man's Claire at one point too. Oh right, yeah. When they're at the uh, yes, at the yes, hospital, yes, he, he, spi- he goes, out goes after her and catches yep. her. Yep. Spider Man's her back inside. Yep, yep, that's right. That that's a verb now. Yes. Yeah, I, I'm cool with that. <laughs> Um, oh, and there was, okay, so there's other things that I've written down about the way it was shot. Um, I think this season was a little, you said it was more consistent, Matt. Um, yeah. there were some inconsistencies. The post, uh, foggy shooting scene, which by the way, I actually forgot Reyes had gotten shot. I forgot she died because foggy was hurt and I couldn't, yeah. like, nothing else <laughs> mattered. <laughs> yep. Um, but that, the, the scene right after he shot, there's like a minute and a half or like a minute of reactions outside that's just people running around in slow motion. And then yeah, and the, the scene where Foggy's yeah. in the, um, in the hospital stretcher thing is a weirdly shot scene. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm with you on that one. That was it, a I very was a, awkward scene. Yeah. It was ambiguous to me too. Where Foggy was in the hospital in relation to this shutdown wing that Claire mm, was yeah. in, it was supposed to be like completely another place, but it was lit in the same way. Mm-hmm. Was that all in the yeah. same episode? I feel like that yes. episode was not well shot. Yeah, there was yeah, the horror I bit. That... No, it is. It's all in the same episode, along with Matt and Claire on the roof. Yeah, I don't think that was a well shot episode. I, I'd look up the director, but um, but there were a lot of problems with that one. Be- where like. Yeah, um, um, I, I remember there was line crossing when they shot Brett showing up at Foggy's bed, uh, stretcher side. Um, yeah. there's, um, there's also a, a perspective problem with Matt and Claire on the roof. Um, and where everything is in relation to each other is not clear at all. Mm. So th- that yeah. episode was not, not as well shot. Was that episode 10? Yeah, The Man in the Box. That's it. Yeah. So it was directed by Peter Hoare, who also did episode four. Yeah, he did a few. I was not really keeping track of all the directors other than there's only one female director because that's what I keep track yeah. of. But she, I think she did episode five, the one with the most Electra, of course. Yes. I can't remember her name. Floria something. Uh, Sigismondi? That's the one. <laughs> Floria Sigismondi. Yep. That's yeah. it. Yeah. I thought it was interesting too that uh, Phil Abraham, who directed the first two episodes of season one, did the first two episodes of uh, season two as well. Mm. And uh, again, they look 
gorgeous. They, yeah, I was going to so say good. they look so good. Um, the stuff that's in Josie's bar is is really nicely shot. Yep. Um, the lighting of like those shots, the the uh, lighting of that pool scene is really nice. Mm. Um, I, I liked that scene as well because it reverses the usual trope of the um the man hitting on the woman by trying to teach her how to play pool. Mm. I liked that. But again, yeah. it, um, as discussed, the Karen flirting with Matt sort of seems to come on a little thick. But yeah, I liked the way that was done. It did come on a little thick. It kind of came out of nowhere. And and uh, they, there's a lot to explore there with how it affected the firm that didn't happen because the plot got in the way. Right. It would have been super interesting, but it was just not able to be dealt with. I think that's a, a thing a lot of the time is that this Daredevil kind of tries to balance character development with plot and plot always kind of runs away with it. Um, and a lot of people have been saying that Daredevil doesn't need to be as long as it is, but I feel like in order to balance that stuff, it kind of needs to be longer. Um, I personally don't ascribe to the idea that everything in a TV show should have to do with the main plot. Um, I like it better when things are woven in, but like there's other stuff that's not necessarily about the main plot that like develops characters and teaches us things and that sort of stuff that I think Daredevil um, and Jessica Jones to an extent, Jessica Jones had similar pacing problems. Yeah, they I, both kind of get carried away with the plot towards the end and, and leave everything else behind. I genuinely think that Netflix... Uh, people who do ha- who direct who work on Netflix shows are still learning how to deal with that thirteen episodes one time a year format because yeah, uh, I watched um, House of Cards a couple of weeks ago when it came out and it has some similar in some of it not every season but it has some similar issues with build and pacing and and where the climax has happened so I think there's still like a bit of in American TV there's still they've got to learn to move away from the twenty two episode it's stretched over however many months arc. English TV tends to do it better because they are, you know, known for doing six episode seasons and stuff. But I think there's yeah. still some learning going on with how to run and how to make a Netflix show pace it correctly over the thirteen episodes. Thirteen episodes seem to be a bit of an awkward number for them because with you know, like for Sherlock, for example, you can have something that's incredibly tight and focused. Like I think episodes one to four of this season could oh, have been their so own good. little season. Mm. Yes. Like, the end of episode four could be a season finale and they mm. could have just waited six months and then done something else. Totally. But when you get to 13, it creates this weird arc of you have sort of a climax sort of halfway through roughly and then this weird sort of nadir where you get into the really character development stuff. But then the last four episodes seem to be like, have to feel like an epic finale so they go so hard on the action and the plot. Mm. But it, because it's stretched out over four episodes, it feels, yeah, sort of disjointed. So you I know, think, yeah, it's, it's hard one. Yeah. You know what else has this problem, which I don't think either of you guys watch, is Teen Wolf. Um, Teen Wolf kind of was a early adopter of this style where, like, n- these days they tend to break uh, TV seasons into two seasons um, yes. where they'll do, like, a mid-season finale mm. and then they'll yep. have a back uh, whatever, nine. Not 13. Um, yeah. Or however many yep. they're going to do. And Teen Wolf has the same problem where, like, the early seasons were better. They kind of just like went at the main plot and went hard and everything but they had the same problem with character development gets kind of swept under under the rug for like going really hard at the main plot um mm-hmm. so they kind of build up at the beginning and then everything just goes to shit <laughs> um in yeah. terms of like you know the characters lives kind of get uh, carried away but then they don't pause afterwards to have those character moments yeah yeah i i um the thing about daredevil is i i know it was good because i have all these feelings but like I, I was so angry with it that it was hard for me to, to acknowledge that it was doing well. Yeah, and I started <laughs> picking apart the problems more. 
Yeah, I guess I have a, a long history of having to endure Matt doing, being selfish dick and ruining his own life. <laughs> um, so but that's the thing is that I, I, I care about Matt, and even when he's being the worst, I kind of wanted to protect him from, you know, horrible things that were happening, But um, and he was being just the worst. Um, yeah. But, like, it colored it for me because uh, so much was happening of stuff that I was less invested in than other things that weren't being addressed. Um, and yeah, I know I that's that. just because of my emotional involvement in it. But because of that, I was kind of like, oh, okay, this is what's happening now. And I didn't have the same investment in it. Hmm. I tell you what, if you want something, I, I, yeah, I think there's a comics run that you might enjoy. It's very, very tonally dissonant with the Netflix show, but Mark Wade's run on Daredevil. I knew oh, you were going to suggest that one. So we did, <laughs> we did a, De- a Jessica Jones podcast with another friend of ours a couple of months ago, and he said, yep. you should read Mark Wade's run on Daredevil. And it's, it's today amazing. it was recommended to me on the Mary Sue. Yeah, I re- we really do have to go out and get it. <laughs> um, This is another thing that I think I talked about with Jessica Jones, but I have I have a, a, um, a problem with comics in that I don't remember them. Um, I, I have a lot of trouble reading comics and I think it's just because I, I, I am very verbal and I read the words and then I look at the pictures and I don't connect them in my mind and then I forget everything that happened a week later. Um, and I've right. never read a comic that didn't do that to me. Huh. I know, oh, it's well, so no weird. Mark Wade Daredevil for you then. No, oh, but this right. is the thing. That's Good the I am not Daredevil red jumper, right, with the, the Christmas party. Oh, yeah, that, that is one amazing scene in a long series of amazing scenes. Um, yeah, I've seen that. Um, no, but I know, I, I feel like I would like it. I just, like, I, I, and I feel like I would like comics if I could read them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, mm. I'm sure you would. They are, it, some, sometimes I do like to, I have to go to the wiki and kind of see what's going on because I haven't actually looked at the pictures properly. But I'm, I read, I'm, I have to read the wiki in order learning. to understand any comics. Like I will remember it much better just from reading the wiki about it than actually reading the comic. But I, it, I'm I, broken. This, this season was definitely very, I don't know, there were parts that comic were very comic booky. The, uh, yeah. de- uh, the Punisher on the roof with the backlit sign. There's a bit that's straight looks straight out of Frank Miller where Stick is in the, the old Bentley that his his person drives for him and they're driving and they're chasing people. Oh, that seems very Frank Millery to me because it seems like it's from Sin City. Um, there's lots of. I bits think too. That I suspect that scene was really heavily green screened. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think yeah, that's it was. why it looks time. Frank Millery because Frank Miller does all of his shit on green screen. That's true. You're probably and it, right. It just didn't fit with the because the rest of the show they seem to do as much as they can in camera, right? And that really there's some stuck special out. effects that are very dodgy, um, blood ones and chain effects that don't work well. Yes, but yeah. no, no, that, I think that's it. It's because it was so green screen, it just didn't look real. Um, no. Uh, oh, that scene also had very bad sound editing. Mm. You couldn't hear a lot yeah. of what Stick was saying because Stick mumbles, um, and I think they were <laughs> yeah. trying to actually shoot it like record the sound on set mm. um, and yeah. they tried to clean it up in post rather than ADRing it and you couldn't hear a lot of what was being said. Yeah. yeah. Says um, the nerd. Yeah, but definitely lots of like comic book type shots. Like even going back to the one where we talked about from the other movie where he's standing on top of the, the gates to the graveyard and standing on top of the church kind of stuff. Um, oh, and the, yeah. even the opening scene in the where he fights a guy in a church, that's straight out of comics as well. Very much so. Mm. I just uh, found the note that I wrote where I wrote down that Claire said, I know he needs you. And that was another moment where I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> I have a couple of quotes. One definitely of them, the wisest person on the show. I know. Oh, my I love God. Her. Yes, because she's the only one who does, isn't, like, here by choice. 
she's got been yes. thrown into this world, and so she's got the most uh, clear-eyed view of what's going on. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and the most level-headed as well, and uh-huh. self-aware, I think. Mm, yeah, and her quitting scene was so good. Mm. Um, yeah, I could, I could just watch. I could just watch Claire and Matt and Karen. I could, I could watch that show with Matt like popping in to look pretty and like you know, uh, uh, give a <laughs> rousing speech every so often and then buggering off to do whatever he does while we just get to watch Foggy and Karen and Claire. I would watch that show in a heartbeat. I would be probably more interested <laughs> in that show than I am in Daredevil. Um, half the time, because like, well, but half the fun is Matt when he's off being Daredevil and Claire. Like that's the, half the reason that the Daredevil scenes are he lifted. But this scene, this didn't happen this as much. Episode, this season. Yeah, this season didn't have quite as much of that. No. And the Matt and, and the Foggy and Claire scene was amazing. Um, the Foggy and Claire. Um, oh well, yeah, the in the hospital. Yeah, yeah. I just like I like the uh, contradiction between. Matt and Daredevil, I like him trying to balance it, and I was actually more interested in it even when I was mad at him when the trial was going on. And then that just went away, and I that was when it kind of lost me a bit. Yeah, I was really mad at him through that trial. So mad. Because I, I think I think <laughs> because I can relate to corporate foggy. I can relate to being like when you work and you need someone to step up for you, and the difficulty sometimes of working with someone who's also your friend, and then they flake on you, and so then you got to kind of manage those two different relationships of like them being professionally not as competent as you'd like them to be, but also, like, you still love them personally. Oh, it was interesting. Yeah. That's also actually, um, on from my perspective, a lot of the thing where, like, Foggy loves Matt so much and he, he keeps kind of, he's the one who has to do all the work for the relationship yes. and Matt's not giving anything back. Mm-hmm. I think that was one of the reasons why Matt was upsetting me so much is because I can relate to that. Like being the person who's really trying to keep a you know friendship afloat or a relationship yeah. afloat or whatever, and the other person's just not, like you know is is so much doesn't he never prioritizes Foggy no or the law firm he never prioritizes it and um and and then he gets upset when he loses it like it was something that he couldn't help. Oh, no, he doesn't prioritise it and he's got his name on the door and then, yeah, and then he has the nerve to turn around and be that like that. He also has the nerve to turn around to Karen uh, later on saying, what are you hiding? What are you not telling me? I'm like, you, Matthew Murdoch, of all people to be asking that question, like, that's And then she's all, I'm not yours to protect and I'm like, thank you. Uh Yeah, I know. He just, no, he he really lacks uh, self-awareness. But that's yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess that's that's that is Matt Murdock slash Daredevil. That's how he is. Yep, that's him in a nutshell. But that's the thing is, I think yeah, that that the fact that he decides. I mean, he does. He he makes these choices not to uh, not to care about this stuff. And and you, you we were talking about like it's either this or the Yakuza takes over New York. But what's it going to do to New York when the Punisher case goes? Like when the Frank Castle case goes to hell, what did it do to New York? Like it's not like it's he's choosing between something that affects everybody and something that only affects him. That case is a really big case, and it is something that does affect a lot of people, not just his friends. It's interesting. He's not just choosing between Foggy and the city. Yeah. Actually- well, no, but like I think the the flip side of that is what you're talking about before about him having to learn to trust people. I think he does put his trust in Foggy to be able to handle it. And I absolutely get why Foggy was pissed off by Matt letting him down, but it was also Foggy's chance to step up, and he did step up in a way that I think Matt probably expected him to. And also, also, 
That um, opening uh, argument that Foggy made was when Matt was at home flirting with Electra. He wasn't even at the thing that, like, you know, we were talking about that is the reason why he didn't have the opening statement, sure, but he wasn't late because of that. He was just late because he woke up late because Electra was breathing in the next room, and then he woke up and he was like, oh, I'm really late, and she's like, oh, you have to stay and flirt with me, and he's like, okay. And he was so stupid, he slept on his chair. <laughs> he didn't even go into his bed. He slept on the chair while she slept on the couch. So he could listen to her breathe all oh, sexy. Idiot. The idiot. Yeah, he's not a clever guy. No, he's so stupid sometimes. Anyway, I mean, you know, he d- it's not like he had an easy upbringing. You sort of understand why he can be so stupid, but anyway. Yeah. Um, oh. With regards to the Batman parallels, um, the end of season, I mean, the end of episode, uh, the one where he arrests Frank, mm-hmm. um, and mm-hmm. he gives the arrest to Brett. Yep. That was like Dark Knight, right? Dark Knight, uh, the Joker one? Oh, yeah. That's uh, the... Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, I, I felt like there were definitely Batman parallels in that first little bit. Um, there, there was this kind of B story with the vigilante stuff that they never came down somewhere on um, and that never got resolved. It kind of did with Karen's Everybody Who Lives in New York is a Hero terrible article <laughs> oh god wasn't it bad but um i feel like the res- the resolution of that is like that's sort of the setup for civil, civil war, war and they don't want to resolve it and even even civil war i don't think resolves it because there actually isn't a right answer on that that's right yeah yeah, yeah it's interesting to me how much we expect these seasons to be self-contained but also it exists in like this huge universe where these things have to set up other things yeah and true. It, it's like i think it puts in a lot of legwork to set up other things that might not pay off, not even necessarily in the Daredevil series. So I think it's it's a tough spot to be in for them. But there is, when you're writing a story, just in general, you have to have, like, you know, beginning, middle, and end. You have to have, like, if you're going to set up an arc, you need to resolve it. You need to have storylines that go somewhere. Um, and setting up one storyline that kind of leads into next season or like a couple of clues about something is different from this season was so fractured and had so many different things and only some some were resolved and some weren't resolved and it was just at the end of the season you're just kind of left with a lot of uncertainty and a lot of that feels unresolved like comic books that feels, yeah. Yeah, well I mean, it's not it's a comic book it's serialized. a tv show it is yeah i know it is but it does it, feel, it has that same feeling of I think I'm even because I'm still new to comic books. I still am surprised at how how quickly they wrap up what they consider an arc, and and yep. how many threads it leaves open. So it is yeah. very comic booky in that type of storytelling. I don't. I'm not saying that's the right choice for a 13 episode TV series, but it definitely is. I think too the delivery mechanism where we get it all in one go doesn't help with the expectation that it should be self-contained. Because mm-hmm. I think in on like a network show where it runs between two episodes are over most of a year, it's more okay for, at least in the audience's mind, for them to have a lot of it left unresolved because you mm. know in four months it'll pick up and then you'll be ready to go again. Mm. Whereas actually, with this, we don't know when we're getting season three. No. I actually, I did. Have, or if. Yeah, I did actually if, think yeah. that. Or if I, they're ever going to fix Matt and Foggy. After they wrapped, even I, really early in this season while I was watching it, I was actually thinking this would have worked quite well having been delivered once a week over 13 weeks or even once a month over the course of the year kind of thing. It would have actually worked yeah. with the, the old school TV style break. And I didn't feel that with, I don't feel that with some other Netflix shows. Like I didn't feel that way about House of Cards the other weekend. 
if they had yep. dicked me around with Matt and Foggy for months before not resolving it, <laughs> I would have like like done angry, violent things. Like uh, I could not cope with that. Are you kidding yeah. me? If they had dicked me, like if they had like dangled those carrots in front of me and then had the last episode where they're not even in the same scene together once, I would have been furious. Oh. I'm already angry enough. I would have exploded <laughs> with anger. Well, okay, it's good that that didn't happen. Otherwise, either Katie would have died or Katie might have killed other people. Uh, yep, yeah, yeah, pretty she much. I would have got all, all Punisher on their asses. <laughs> <laughs> like, you are terrible people. How dare you be she, these criminals she who screwed that. me over for she months? She has, like, no military training. I don't think she's ever even handled a gun. I you don't know. <laughs> yeah, look, I'm not super confident that she wouldn't learn quite rapidly. <laughs> I that would be that yeah that that's my uh um um Frank's entire family getting killed in front of him. It's exactly the same thing. <laughs> Practically yeah, it's exactly totally. the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> you don't understand how invested I was in Matt and Foggy. Like this is I just I so do much because I'm on Tumblr and I follow you. But yes. <laughs> <laughs> this is like this is like yeah. Now I'm worried about the next Star Wars movie and what they're going to do with Finn and Poe. <laughs> because because uh, Marvel because betrayed you, betrayed me. I did. I genuinely felt betrayed when they got to the last episode and then nothing. And and like it was that kind of. It was so much worse that they kept kind of hinting that they might make it better. It made it so much worse to me that they kept kind of like making it making out that they might do something to fix this big problem. At least the have them like, life? huh? The big gaping hole in your life. <laughs> yes, the big gaping hole in my life that is Matt and Foggy's ruined friendship. No, but it it is like they they were so kind of um mean about it. <laughs> it hurt my feelings, you guys. They're bullying me. <laughs> Sorry, you've cracked me up so much. I have absolutely nothing else to say. Uh, I don't look, know. Did... I don't want to spoil anything for anyone, but Matt and Foggy are gonna be friends again. It's okay. But when? <laughs> Uh, it could I mean, be look, two could, years. that's a little more up in the air. Well, maybe it could be. It could be longer than two years. You've I can't ne- wait longer than two years. You've never been in the Sherlock fandom. I mean, oh, really. no. we wait two years for three more episodes. Actually, we wait two years to get one shitty episode and then have to wait another year for <laughs> another three episodes or maybe two or who knows. So, yeah, I understand. Two years is a long time. But there'll be, there's lots of other TV to watch in the meantime. Yeah, I'm not as invested in anything else. I'm actually really far behind on pretty much everything else. Mm, because you're um, watching Daredevil. No. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? No, that's not why. Oh, I don't. I don't go back and rewatch Nelson v Murdoch when I'm like, I have 20 new shows to watch. Mm, time to go watch that avocado scene again. Oh, there's nothing wrong with a bit of comfort TV. Honestly, and uh, it's terrible. I, do you know what the first thing I did when I finished this season was? Went back and watched Nelson, Nelson v Murdoch. Yeah, yeah. That that scene. That was literally the first thing I did. I stopped watching their show and I went back to my computer and I just watched Nelson oh, v Murdoch did, um, scene. Again. Did you two watch the Luke Cage teaser? Yeah, yeah. I did. Yeah. Yeah. My Netflix didn't like autoplay it, but I went and found it. Yeah, me too. No, my mine didn't either. I think that might be a region thing. Sadly. Yeah, yeah, I have probably. I was. We were on Australian Netflix. Um, yeah, yeah, but that that was not really anything. But that's coming out on the thirtieth of September, which will be exciting. I don't know if Luke's going to be able to carry his own show. What? Get get out! It's Luke Cage. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I'm not talking about the comics because I haven't read the comics. I'm talking about yeah. based on what I saw of him in Jessica Jones. There's not a lot there. Well, I mean, look. Let me try and sell it into you this way. Apparently. 
Claire has a much, much bigger role in the game, so you'll get a lot more Claire in your life. <laughs> that is literally the think... main thing I was looking forward to. But no, I, I just think he wasn't, like, he didn't have a lot to do in Jessica Jones. Um, he wasn't much of a character. He was just kind of there. Mm, I don't know. I'm willing to. Mm, I'm Being willing to, pretty? I, I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt, but, uh, I mean, it. It might be that he grows over the course of the season. How many, like, I mean, there's heaps of actors who get handed their own show and have to carry it and have never done it before, like Charlie Cox, and they manage, so. Yeah. No, no, it's not that. It's more that it wasn't so much the actor as that they didn't, like, I, there's nothing about that character that makes me want to watch a show of him. Well, I don't know enough about him to know if I want to, I mean, I'm going to because I just do what Marvel tells me to do. And Disney now, because I go to, <laughs> go to every Star Wars movie as well. But um, I just do what they tell me and I will watch it. But um, I don't know enough about him to make that decision. Even the Finn Jones Iron Fist. <sighs> uh, yeah. Maybe. I, I probably will. Because... How do you feel about that casting, Matt? <sighs> yeah, look, I, I'm, I'm disappointed they didn't cast an Asian-American actor. But I, I also, like, Luke Cage and Iron Fist are my... Like, it's my favourite bromance in comics, so I am super psyched for that. <laughs> well, that's exciting. Maybe we'll have a um, a Foggy and Matt V t- version 2 to look forward to. Oh, yeah. They're, they're, they're the best of friends, and it's the most adorable and, thing. Um, look, without Foggy in it, I don't know how well that's going to work out for me. But, um, but no, I, yeah, I was also very disappointed in them for not casting an Asian-American as Iron Fist. But I think also Finn Jones is, is kind of... I mean, you know, I try not to judge the Marvel casting because they're usually pretty good, but yeah. there's nothing about him that makes me interested. Oh. I've seen Charlie Cox in a few things before he got cast in Daredevil and there's, I liked him. When he's the little gay one in Game of Thrones, he's pretty good. Um, the, the like, two episodes that he gets there, that's all I've ever seen him in, though. Um, he's pr- kind of sweet in that role, but um, I don't know. Yeah, the, you know, the, the thing is with me, I heard that, when he went in, they gave he gave an audition that was like below the mouth of what it could. So I've got to believe that there's something there that he hasn't shown the world yet that he's going to bring to this role. Mm. I guess so. And and they can like look if they really really address the fact that this is like uh, there's a lot of privilege and and that um, there is a lot of like white savior stuff in the <laughs> the Iron Fist kind of canon. It might yes. be okay. Well, they don't really trust it in Daredevil, but you never know. They might improve. Matt's not a white saviour, though. No, no, Matt's he... not, but there's the, there's the stuff with Stick and... Um... But that's the thing is that because Stick trains him and not... And Stick and, is and seen it... as a bad guy, kind of. And and yeah. not in what is, like, sort of... It, it, it's not like he is beating all of the Asians at Asian martial arts by going to no, a true. place in that's Asia true. and being better than everybody mystically. Oh, God, that's... <laughs> like, just, Matt yeah. is just trained by a, a guy to, you know... You just remind butt. me of the scene that I hated the most where he and electorates, like, sit there talking about the different types of martial arts that they do. Oh, my God. It's just like, stop, you two. Stop. That was not the scene that I hated the most, I, I, but I don't remember it happening. I think, so. it's, I think it's in the boxing. <laughs> it's I think it it's, there, yeah, in the, it's the boxing sex. Oh, um, the oh, boxing yeah, sex. And there's a scene where they literally make her look like a praying mantis, as though she's this <laughs> evil woman who's going to eat her prey after she has sex with him. I'm just like, <gasps> really? What about that horror so movie subtle. moment just after she kills the kid? Because Matt seems to have a real, um, like, there's a lot of pr- Matt's protection of kids that I think is really interesting, mm. that I think they could do something really interesting with if they put that up against Stick. Um, that would be a storyline that I would, like, 
uh, you know, mm-hmm. in a heartbeat, that would be fascinating for me because uh, Stick is, his whole thing is basically abusing children and Matt's just very against abusing children. So that would be interesting. Uh, there was something interesting there where Matt was like, oh, he's just a kid and he, um, and then Electra murders him. And then she's all, this is who I am. And There's a lot of this, this is who I am stuff that goes on that you're like, nobody ever seems to be uh, um, willing to change. Or or in flux or like at any point, everybody's just like, this is something that is inherent to me and nothing in the world can change it ever. And you're like, no, these are behaviors that you've learned. Like nobody... At any point in Daredevil is like this is a behavior that I have learned that maybe I can unlearn. <laughs> um, and, just a just a perspective there, right, and they're all always the same people who are like this is my city, I must protect it. And it's As not though just the that. city is ownable. It's not just that. Everything is about it, like the look at the Punisher trial and stuff like that. Everything's about it, 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 something is either inherent to you or it isn't. And there's that scene where Matt's on the roof and he's talking about how. Uh, everybody has, which is something that like hits close to home with me, is this idea that everybody has something good in them, and uh, when you kill them, you're snuffing that out. And that yeah. to me was oh god, so good and so very very pertinent, and also something that you know hit home with me a lot. But the show doesn't explore that a lot. Mm-hmm. Like it's what Matt thinks and Matt feels, but there's not a lot of you don't actually see any examples of that happening. Um, you don't see a lot of, and, and, and also Karen murdering Wesley didn't, I thought that would carry into the season more. There's and it no doesn't zero feel like consequence it, for that, other than she's more reckless than she was. I think that there's, it was really the subtext of all of Karen's actions this season though, I think. Like, I think the reason that she's so interested in the Punisher and the reason that she's so interested in vigilantes generally is because she's someone who killed someone to save her own yeah. life. Yeah. Mm. But that's the thing is that I felt felt like that would be, uh, there there would be more about that and like that that, that it would be more uh, her storyline would be more about like can I still be a good person if I have murdered this other person? Um, or not murdered? It was self defense. I mean, nobody's ever going to argue anything else. But killed this person. But killed this person. Um, I I thought and and like you know not subtext text. <laughs> I thought there yeah. might be some text yeah. about that. Like there's text about Matt saying if you kill somebody you're snuffing out that that uh hope for the future in them um but then and that potential in them but then they don't really uh, again that's a storyline that i felt was really interesting that they just drop hmm. except for maybe killing electra but is that that's not really what that's about so no it's not about that at all yeah like i'd almost argue that that conversation between matt and frank is about karen's actions in a lot of ways because of how closely karen identifies with frank is mm. so on mm-hmm like it, like it makes us reflect on the fact that like she did snuff out that dude's life, and sure it was in self defense, but like she's got to live with the fact that like he clearly wasn't a completely awful dude. Like he mm. like was act, act, acting in very like self interested ways, but we don't know what he would have gone on to do with his life if Karen hadn't done that. And we do see um, how Fisk misses him as well, and he's such yeah. a good character and such oh, a good actor. I know, I miss you know him. he's Australian. Yeah. Really, the actor who played Wesley oh, yeah. is an Australian, um, wow. and he, uh, um, the uh, I called him Baby Victor Garber the whole first season when I first watched it. Um, <laughs> but he, like, he kills it, man. Watching that again, like Wesley is is almost as important as a, a figure as Fisk in season one. You know, he's really, really there. Yeah. 
um that that i definitely missed that this isn't there was a moment yeah. when there was this girl with like a red-headed bob that i was like can she be the new wesley but then and she no. was not she no. was not no no she also was. just shows up randomly in the last episode everybody does yeah. also there's no continue con- there's no continuity continuity with any of the cops mm. every single crime scene has totally different cops at it all of them except new york who's everywhere. Like, i buy that no, Brett is in every one of at every one of them, but all of the rest of the police officers are totally different people every time. Yeah. And well, yet there's I, one know, newspaper. They have very high turnover there. I think a lot of them were killed in Jessica Jones, so Oh, so many killed. people a get killed. A lot of killed. fresh faces. So many people <laughs> are just dead. So many people. Okay, we probably should wrap it up. It's been two hours. Yeah. Do, do we give TV shows a rating, do you think? I don't know. I don't I don't know what I would give it. No, that's okay. I think we kind of just talked about it. It's not really a four or five or whatever stars. It's just, you know. I mean, if you broke it down to episodes, I might be able to, and I would give season one like four and a half stars. But this season, I also, I don't feel like I've settled with it enough yet. Mm-hmm. I'm still kind of yeah. mad. Yeah. yeah, fair enough. Oh, that's all right. Um, So, Matt, did you want to just, like, where can people find you if they want to, like, find you online? Do you have Twitter and all that kind of stuff? Uh, well, yeah, I'm on Twitter. I think I'm just at Matthew Groom. But yeah. you can hear me on at least once a week, generally twice a week, on my podcast, which is Range of Danger. Uh, we're on iTunes and Stitcher and YouTube. And we're at Range of Decast on Twitter. So, yeah, you search us out if you'd like to hear me more in your ears. And if you're into Power Rangers, because, yeah. I had a listen yeah, to that one, too, I suppose. I did listen to one of your episodes, but I'm not really a Power Rangers fan, but it was cool. Um, oh, you I'm guys glad you think so. Thank you. <laughs> it was good. Um, and yeah, so if you are into Power Rangers, definitely go and check Matt out, and also you know, like, give him a follow because he's nice and we like him. No, thank uh, you. Appreciate that. <laughs> thank you very much for coming on the show with us. Yes, thank you for um talking yo, about. Yo, yo, it was a great time. Thank you very much for having me. That's all right. Um, and yeah, so thank you very much for listening to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. If you'd like to read our show notes or find old episodes, they're on our website, silverscreenqueens.com. If you want to find us on social media, we're at screen underscore queens on Twitter, um, facebook.com forward slash silverscreenqueens and tumblr.silverscreenqueens.com. And if you want to read Katie's review of the movies that she watches, not Daredevil, we don't, I don't know that any, any blog has space to take in all of Katie's thoughts about <laughs> Daredevil, um, what are you talking about? <laughs> uh, you can find them on her blog, silverscreenqueen.wordpress.com. Thank you very much for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye, guys. Well, that that's what annoyed me about I know we're actually not in the episode yet, but it's because they made out her to be this femme fatale and next to, like, Car- Karen the saint. Oh, isn't Karen so wonderful? Aren't they? Don't they have so much chemistry? Oh, he's no. a lecturer. What a bitch. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, but that's the thing is that Karen, they don't have chemistry. They They're, do. They have great chemistry. Matt and Karen. Yeah. No. Do. Yeah, they do. No. Wrong. You are wrong. I'm not wrong. You are. Matt and Claire. Yes. Matt and Electra. Kind of. Matt and Karen have no chemistry. You're Those wrong. Katie, so shush. Awkward. I'm trying to fix this. Can you be quiet? You're wrong. <laughs>